The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer, and Jason Munns, our Tiger basketball beat writer and jack of all trades. Um, hope you enjoyed the uh, unexpected uh, bye week or open week. Um, and uh, you're ready to go for the Stephen F. Austin game. Uh, we got a bunch of things to talk about. We're going to reflect a little bit on, on, on what's happened so far this season with Memphis. Uh, we're going to talk about some potential rescheduling news involving Memphis and that Navy game that was supposed to be played last weekend and now uh, might be played in December. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Peter Parrish, uh, the quarterback transfer from LSU, um, who was in the new the national news this week in an LS in, an, in a USA Today story uh, that detailed uh, the rape accusation that he uh, faced at LSU, uh, and obviously now he's at Memphis, and and we'll 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 dig in a little bit into the risks that Memphis is taking by by having someone like that on their roster who is, you know obviously you know dealt with some issues at LSU um and then uh last but not least we'll get you ready for the Stephen F Austin game uh this weekend um it's there I believe it's senior day technically they're gonna do their senior day festivities this weekend rather than the Houston game in a couple weeks um so uh that should be fun big big day probably you know a, a moment to celebrate a, a senior class that's won a lot of games. But let's start first. I wanted to reflect a little bit. I thought it was really interesting, Evan. Um, Kevin Johns spoke earlier this week, and and obviously the offense has not looked great the past few games. Like, you know, they, they, they obviously delivered when it counted against South Florida. Um, Temple, it was kind of in fits and starts, but they haven't looked great since the UCF game. And I thought it was interesting to hear what Kevin John said. I guess someone asked him how he would grade the offense so far, and he gave them a B minus. Um, do you think that's the right grade? What, what What was your takeaway from from Kevin John's Kevin John's reflection on how the offense has performed this year? I thought he was honest. I thought he was very straightforward, and um, I thought it was accurate. I mean, this offense by every metric has been a huge slide from the last three years. So I thought he was very clear. Um, he tried to take credit. I thought it was interesting how he pretty much challenged them by, you know, hearkening back to Memphis's legacy, basically saying that, you know, it means something to play offense here at Memphis and we have to go out there and basically defend that reputation. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but he's right. I mean, look at, if you look at all the numbers, yes, Memphis is putting up yards, but I believe right now they are 40th in scoring offense after being, top 15 for the last four seasons under Mike Norvell. So, I mean, we all know it. So I think it was really honest and I thought it was absolutely something that needed to be said. Yeah. And, and I think part of it though, like, is it realistic to expect this offense to be a top 10 offense every year? You know, like I, wasn't it inevitable that at some point they were going to take a step back. Now, I think the counter argument to that is you have a, returning quarterback 
perhaps maybe like next year, it would be more understandable when you're breaking in a new starting quarterback potentially. Um, but I don't know, Jason, what do you think? What, when, when you watch this offense, what do you see? I agree with Kevin Johns. I think that, like I said, I feel like it was an honest um, assessment, especially given the fact that they are Memphis is 14th in the country in total offense, which is great, but the scoring offense is is 40th, like Evan said. And there's there seem there's that's not usually what you see. You don't see a bunch of yards and then not so many points. And I think that's probably where the the B minus comes in. But I'm not so sure that. I mean, yes, no Kenny Gainwell. Yes, mm-hmm. only what two three games of Demonte Coxey. Mm-hmm. Um. So I get that, and that should be taken into account. Um, uh, for but the best game was without Demonte Coxey. You know, yeah, the yeah. Coxie yeah. did not play. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. What makes uh, a big difference the past few weeks is they haven't blocked well. Like this O line was fairly. You know, they had some games in the past where they struggled against. You know, whether it was against you know Penn State, but they still moved the ball against Penn State. Um, it, it just feels like the O line is struggling more than it has in recent years. There's not those. You know, yes, you had Kenny Gainwell and Daryl Henderson and top Tony Pollard, all these talented players who are now in the NFL. But like something that often got overlooked, those guys were running through giant holes and those giant holes aren't there this year. Yeah. I mean, I again, I, I think that it is it, you do have to factor in the loss of those two playmakers. But um, and and to answer your question, yeah, I mean, very few programs in the country um, can establish themselves as, you know, can establish a benchmark and then maintain it over an extended period of time. I mean, Memphis is before this season, they were going on what four or five years of, of very high level um, play offensively. And so, yeah, I mean, odds are that's gonna, you're going to come, the other shoe's going to drop eventually and you're going to see a, 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 uh, a decline, uh, no matter how big or small it is, it's you're not going to be able to maintain that forever. So, to answer your question, yeah, it was it was bound to happen, um, but you know, it, it just, I would also it point out, bit. I would also point out that this year compared to previous years, like they haven't had those, you know, you haven't had those. This is going to be the first game where you're going up against an FCS team, you know, in normal years. Yeah you have three games probably against inferior opponents where you can kind of inflate some of your stats a little bit. Now, that being said, part of what made Memphis so great in recent years is that, you know, they put up video game numbers against just about anyone, but it should be pointed out that the only quote unquote, you know, the only non-conference game they played so far was against Arkansas state who, you know, probably isn't as good as what, we thought they were when they beat Kansas state, but still is no, you know, they're no, they're not a terrible team. And, you know, hopefully this, this weekend against Stephen F. Austin might be a telltale. Like if they're not putting up big numbers against Stephen F. Austin this weekend, th- then that, that, that maybe is a, even more of a glaring kind of siren that this just is something's not right. Um, yeah, it's been a weird. It you look at the you look at the final scores of the games that they've played, and they put up thirty five or more against 
Arkansas State, UCF, Temple, but you know, 10 against Cincinnati, which nobody's not very many people score against them. Um, 27 uh, against SMU and 34 uh, against USF. So you, you would have thought, I mean, you know, USF, you, you would have thought um, the Memphis offensive old would have, would have gone crazy against them probably would have put up 10, you know, more than 10 against Cincinnati. And uh, you know, so it's just not the same Memphis offense. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's not a bad offense. It's no. just it's the just formula for Memphis has been have a great offense that overcomes a mediocre defense. And this year they have a, you know, okay offense trying to overcome probably a, so far a less than mediocre defense. At best, it's a mediocre defense. And that's sort of what's changed. It's what made, it's what's made the offense a little the the downturn, if you will, in offensive production a little more glaring. Um, do you expect any sort of adjustments or changes, Evan, this week? Did did did, did Kevin Johns hint at all at how they're gonna, you know, get this trending in the right direction again? Was you know, will they will we see? You know, I know they they kind of run tempo all the time but it felt a little different on those last two drives against USF. You know, that was a true no huddle, you know, Brady white is calling the plays because you're trying to snap it as quickly as possible. Cause you're up against the clock rather than a tempo, but potentially look to the sideline to make an audible before the play type of offense. Did John's give any hints at, at any sort of changes that they might be, they might've implemented now that they've had two weeks here to practice and work on some things? Not specifically. I think he said, you know, I, I asked him, I said, you know, is that something you're going to try to start games with just because it works all at the end of games? And he kind of basically said, you know, we're going to do kind of what, you know, each script doesn't work the same way. And I think Ryan mentioned that for their first four games, they had longer drives, which, um, you know, kind of shows them, you know, taking their time, but taking what they get. Um, but Johns didn't really say that they're going to, you know, look to try to go tempo, no huddle to start the game. So I think I'll be curious kind of how Memphis, how Memphis's first two drives look like maybe the first drive might not be an indicator trying to feel their way through, but I would be surprised if they don't score a touchdown in the first two drives, I will be disappointed just because let's be honest, even though this SC and the Boston team's defense is a very good FCS, FCS defense, Memphis should not come away with just three points or no points on their first two drives. They should be trying to score touchdowns. And so I think I'll be curious if they run some sort of tempo, but Kevin Johns didn't give any indication that he's going to try to just change anything drastically from this. Well, here's some interesting numbers for you. So this year Memphis is averaging 6.32 yards per play. It's the lowest yards per play that they've averaged since Mike Norvell's first year. So maybe it makes sense that in Ryan Silverfield's first year, they averaged 6.25 yards per play in Mike Norvell's first season. Um, in 2019, they have, so last year they averaged 6.85 yards per play. In 2018, they averaged 7.12, 7.12 yards per play. And in 2017, they averaged 7.35 yards per play. So it's gone down each of the last four years. Um, but this is the lowest it has been since 
Mike Norvell's first year in terms of yards per play. And you might, you might also can mention too, like I think in that 16 years, so that was what Anthony Miller, that was his first season breaking out right after 15. That was, was his redshirt junior year. It was Riley Ferguson's first year as a starter right. where he was kind of, it was a year where they were very, they, they, they struggled in the middle of the year as they tried to pick up Norvell's offense. And then it seemed to, you know, they didn't, they lost the bowl game, but it seemed to click more at the end of the year. They had some of their best games towards the end of the year. They were building momentum. And, and frankly, that's what you need to see from this Memphis team. You want to see, like they've had the, it, it seems to be trending that way a little bit. You had, you know, obviously it's totally different because of COVID, but they're not trending in the right direction right now for the most part. And you'd like to see, these neck, these last four games of the year, it trend in the right direction heading into the off season, particularly since, you know, it's, it's probably, you're probably going to have a new quarterback next year. Um, unless Brady white does something, uh, we don't expect. Um, so, and, and along those lines, what that schedule looks like, how those last four games are played is still kind of up in the air. Um, so obviously Memphis is going to play Stephen F. Austin on Saturday at the Liberty Bowl. There's a report out of Annapolis, the Capital Gazette, from yesterday uh, that says the AAC is considering the, um, moving games around like this in order to have Navy play make up its games that it missed against Memphis and Tulsa due to its COVID-19 outbreak. So the what the plan states or what the report states is that Instead of playing Tulane on November 28th over Thanksgiving weekend, instead of playing at Tulane, Memphis will play at Navy that weekend instead. And then that Tulane game will get moved to December 12th. So that would mean the the Memphis schedule would be Stephen F. Austin this weekend, then at Navy, then Houston at home on December 5th, and then uh, Tulane on the road on December 12th. And then the AAC championship game would be December 19th. Now we've had another wrinkle thrown in today, right before the podcast where we're recording this on uh, Wednesday. Um, and uh, the AAC announced that the Houston SMU game this weekend, as well as the Navy USF games have been postponed. The Navy USF game has been postponed, not because of Navy, but because of USF and the Houston SMU game has been postponed because of Houston having COVID issues. So now, you know, now we wait to see if, you know, if Houston can play December 5th. Um, So obviously that, that another complicating factor. Um, However, this past weekend did go according to the way, if you're, if you're one of those people holding out hope that Memphis can win out, and get it, you know, somehow get into the AAC championship game. Tulsa beating SMU this past weekend was probably the right result that you wanted. Um, so now you need SMU to lose one more game and you need Tulsa to lose at least twice. Um, and then Memphis, if it wins out, would be tied with Tulsa for second place. And I'm not entirely sure uh, what the tiebreaker would be, but. I think if it's like it is in previous years when you don't play someone, it goes by basically your record against each corresponding best team. So let's presume Tulsa loses to Cincinnati like Memphis does. 
in this scenario did in this scenario. So that would that wouldn't decide it. It let's say UCF is the next rated highest rated team in the standings that they could have played the common opponent. Both of them will have beaten UCF. I do worry though. SMU could be that next opponent on the line and Memphis obviously lost to SMU and Tulsa beat SMU. So I actually, I still think it's a long shot that Memphis gets in the AAC championship game. That's, that's the best way I can, best way I can say it. So we're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. We're basically saying there's a chance. Like I would say this, I think winning out is going to be hard, is going to be just as hard as anything else. I agree. I agree. And if they, you know, the team we saw play against USF, I mean, that USF team got hammered by Houston this past weekend and Memphis barely squeaked by them. Um, and so it's going to like, it's going to be just as hard for Memphis to win out as it is for like all these different puzzle pieces to fall into place uh, with other teams. But let's well, be honest, that Tulane game on the road is going to be tricky because Tulane, I mean, Grant, I don't know how good Army is, but they were – Top 25. I think all three conference games they have left are going to be difficult to win. They can't win them all, but they're all three going to be difficult to win. I agree. I agree. So we'll see what happens. But as far as rescheduling, I think if you're Memphis, you kind of want that Navy game only to give you another game for winning percentage. But my concern is the first that game gets scheduled back. I mean, Mark, you probably noticed better than well, us. Well, the Navy game's going to Navy's not having COVID issues anymore. No. The Navy game getting postponed this week was because of USF. Right, but what I was going to ask you is, if that game gets pushed back further, like what's the the weather is going to probably be a bigger factor, correct? Like you'll be, what's the weather like in that area? It's not it's it's, it's temperate. It's not that bad in DC. It won't, so we don't have to worry about a snow game. I mean, it could be cold, you know, but it could be cold in Memphis too. Like, not, a, not a cold game, a snow game. I'm asking, could there be snow? It doesn't. It doesn't snow that much. It doesn't usually typically snow before Christmas. Okay. In the DC area. Sometimes it every once in a while it does, but I don't think you're going to have to worry about like it, it will probably be cold, but like whatever. It's it's going to be cold, cold. Most of the country in no, at the end of I, November. I think Memphis fans will be worried if there was like extra weather, not cold, but like something coming from the sky. That usually freaks everyone out. Which I don't remember having a Thanksgiving growing up where there was snow on the ground. I'll say right. that. Um, growing up in the DC area. So we shall see. Uh, how that all plays out. Okay, this this is a little this is a a little tricky t- topic. Uh, um, so earlier this week, USA Today uh, released a story, and it was about how LSU has mishandled sexual misconduct cases um, over the years, and particularly cases involving athletes at LSU and specifically football players. And within that story by USA Today. They, they, it was reported that um, Peter Parrish, uh, the quarterback who was at LSU, transferred to Memphis in August. Um, Peter Parrish had been accused of rape and suspended for a year by LSU. Now, Parrish, through his attorney, denied the accusation, um, denied any accusation, allegation of rape or sexual misconduct. But um, in doing reporting after the fact, um, basically what happened is, um, according to the report, it, it basically this involves Peter Parrish. This in the, you know, if, you're, if you've got young children around, you know, maybe this is the time to remove them from the podcast. Um, Peter Parrish um, 
had sex with another LSU student in a car outside a bar uh, in Baton Rouge last January. And um, within 24 hours, like that next morning, it was reported to the LSU Title IX office. Um, the, girl, the, the girl reported uh, reported it to the Title IX office. And um, basically said she felt she had been taken advantage of and uh, had, you know, had been raped. And, and for, for a while, Peter Parrish's name was not revealed in all of this, you know, publicly. Um, but so LSU did a Title IX investigation and that Title IX investigation, they interviewed the alleged victim, Peter Parrish, his father and four witnesses. And what the LSU Title IX office determined was that <clears throat> um, that the, the official phrasing was Peter Parrish was responsible for violating the school's sexual misconduct policy, and specifically that he had non-consensual sex with another student, and it was non-consensual because the alleged victim was non-responsive, like was too drunk to give consent. Um, and so that's, and so he was suspended for a year by LSU because of that. Then Peter Parrish filed a federal lawsuit alleging that his, he was not granted due process by LSU during this Title IX investigation um, in July a federal judge in Louisiana ruled against Peter Parrish and the case was dismissed, I believe, July 30th. August 6th, I believe, it was announced that he had transferred to Memphis. Um, so to be clear, he was never charged by the police and never arrested for rape. He was accused of rape by another student. He denies that accusation. However, LSU, Title IX investigation found him responsible for sex violating their sexual misconduct policy and suspended him for a year. And so now Parrish is at Memphis. And I think a lot of people assumed when he came, given his LSU pedigree, that this guy might be the heir apparent to Brady White. That remains to be seen. Um, but I wrote a column earlier this week, and oh, we should mention Ryan Silverfield, when, when asked about this on Monday, um, defended, he, did, he would not talk specifically about Parrish and Par the process of how Memphis ultimately approved his transfer to Memphis from LSU. But he did say, generally speaking, that, this, that he is very confident in the vetting process that they, that they conduct with new recruits <clears throat> and new players within the athletic department and the football team. Um, I wrote a column that basically said he, be he better be right. Like, cause I, I think this is a huge risk to, you know, like I hopefully there's more to this than what's out there now, because it just seems like a big risk. Like if, if Peter Parrish has any misstep on campus, if he does anything remotely close to what happened at LSU at Memphis, like, frankly, I think it's a fireable offense for anyone involved who approved him coming here. Um, it just feels like a huge risk to take, especially when you're a first-year coach, and it's not like you – like, I just think you can find quarterbacks elsewhere. 
you didn't need to take this risk necessarily. But Ryan Silverfield felt it was a risk worth taking. He obviously feels Peter Parrish deserves another chance, if you will. And maybe, again, I'm leaving open the possibility that there's more to this than than what we know right now. But ultimately, there's no getting around that LSU – a school that L- that USA Today revealed is, you know, very often turns its turns its turns the other way when it when it comes to sexual misconduct allegations and its players. LSU suspended this. There was enough evidence for LSU to deem this guy responsible for violating its sexual misconduct policy and suspending him for a year. Um, so I, I just think I, I don't know. It was it, it just it scares me to think if, if Ryan Silver and Ryan Silverfield isn't right, if the football, if the athletic department isn't right about this kid, like it scares me to think that's, you know, what, you know, for the community's sake, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just, it feels like a big, big risk to take. Uh, I'm curious your guys thoughts. So I, I encourage everyone to go read Mark's column. I thought Mark was absolutely, you know, was, was very, his words on it were very spot on. I think this is a kind of a gamble that we see college football programs make um, because they think somebody can help them out and they want to try to, you know, help somebody who they think deserves a second chance. But here's the question. Um, we need to, we, we as not just media, but as Memphis fans, the Memphis community should be, should know what the vetting process was. Now, granted, Brian Silverfield said that it's a school policy, and I confirmed with the Memphis spokesperson that they don't discuss specifics on the vetting process. Um, technically, technically, it's a, it would probably be a FERPA violation of some kind, you know, because right. this is part of his student records. Right. Um, like but, they're well within their rights to do that. I just think in this case, you know, if I'm them and I want to reassure the community, you maybe try to get Peter Parrish to waive his rights to kind of tell his side of things publicly because uh, right now it just feels ugh, it just is it, it's icky. it's icky. you don't want you don't like listen he may deserve a second chance whatever this may you know maybe you know maybe there's you know maybe there's more to this but it just you still it just feels icky to have your football program involved in a story like this. right and my thing is and we're not going to litigate whether or not you know Parrish is guilty or that's not for us to do here what we are are here to do is to say, as you point out, you point out in your column, what did Memphis know? What did Memphis know when they looked into his his backstory? And, and what did they do? Did they talk to the alleged victim? Right. Did they talk to the authorities at LSU? Did they, or what, you know, like what did they do to make sure that this guy deserves to be on a college campus? Exactly. And that needs to be spelled out because in this situation, this isn't a case of like, say, for example, and I'll use this example because I asked Silvered about the vetting process. There was a tight end that Memphis recruited in this recent class um, who was involved in a fight on uh, on Bourbon Street when he was younger in New Orleans. And from the reporting, it sounded like that this the player was defending a team of, was defending a friend who had been called a racial slur, and he punched out the person who called him a slur. I asked Ryan Silverfield, you know, what was the vetting process for, for him just to make sure he, he did, did our homework? And Ryan Silverfield said, you know, we obviously checked it out and everything that was fine. Now, granted, punching, some out, punching somebody out who used a racial slur is not being accused of rape. But 
Memphis should be, it would be nice, it would be helpful if Memphis was transparent on this, given the nature of the situation, given the fact that we obviously know that sexual assault is something that is a major issue, not just in our country, but on college campuses as well. I think it would be prudent for them to at least just say, you know, what did they know? Because obviously if this doesn't work, as you said, all of them will have to wear this and there should be some heads that have to, you know, suffer for it. Because this is a gamble that frankly, you didn't need to take because again, you have, again, they didn't need to take because, again, you have quarterbacks on the roster. If you think he was worth the risk, then you need to explain why. Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, I have the report from LSU. I mean, it's essentially a, a he said, she said type of deal. It's just that the – basically, you know, I think what 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 uh, Peter Parrish said to LSU is that this was consensual and that he couldn't tell that – the girl was too drunk to not consent. And a lot of the witnesses, part of the reason I think they ruled against Parrish, LSU did, is because a lot of the witnesses described this girl as not just drunk, but drunker than they've ever seen her before in their lives. And, and um, to be fair, um, to be honest, like in the case of this, that may be fine, but that still doesn't let Memphis off the hook for like, what yes. diligence did they do? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's, it's a tricky situation. And I don't know, you know, like hopefully, hopefully, hopefully he deserves this chance. Hopefully he's a model citizen here in Memphis, maybe even a, a, a good quarterback. Um, and this all works out, but just right now, it's just, it's icky. It just feels icky is all I'm, is all I'm saying. It would be easy for all of us to say, you know, like if we were in Ryan Silverfield's shoes, we wouldn't do it. I know I feel that way. I, I wouldn't, I would certainly not go near. Doesn't strike me as something a first year coach needed to do. That's all. I, that's how I would phrase it. But obviously he felt otherwise. And he's the one who is the coach who's, you know, like it's his decision to make. And people say, you know, you have to, at a place like Memphis, you kind of have to roll the dice sometimes um, and, and take risks on certain, uh, certain, players and, and recruits and things like that. But this is not the same old Memphis here. This is a, this is a Memphis program that's hot that um, can go out and get quality recruits without having to gamble necessarily um, because that's exactly what this is. This is a huge gamble. Um, whether, whether you're banking on Peter Parrish be like, you, you better, I, you better like you, you're banking on Peter Parrish being a model citizen because if he's not it's going to come back to bite you big time even if he's a great quarterback yes exactly I mean like he could be a great quarterback but if he's not a model citizen uh all bets are off I mean it's 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 a very very um it, it would not be good if that's how if that's how it played out and you just hope for all the parties involved for the Memphis community at large, uh, that everything was done correctly and thoroughly and, and thoroughly again. Um, and, and, and just hope that, uh, you cross your fingers and hope, hope it's all, it was all done right. Yeah. Uh, along those, you mentioned recruiting, uh, how it's just a different profile now for the Memphis football program. Um, as much as things change, some things still stay the same, 
Uh, Memphis had two of its highest rated recruits yesterday announce their decommitments. Evan, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, this is simply a, uh, a function of some power five programs are now recruiting these kids. And so they've reopened their recruitments because of that. Does that sound correct to you? It's funny you say that because actually I don't believe that is the case. Um, I'm pulling up. I know one of them got an old miss. So that was, that was their defense defensive end, Myron green. Who's one of the top Juco players in the country. Uh, He got an old miss offer this month and he's still committed to Memphis, but the crystal ball over at two, four, seven is now looking for uh looking at towards Ole Miss. But as far as Andrew Jones, who was the highest rated kid on the, in the 2021 class, the three-star linebacker, he still has the same offers. Um, and it doesn't look like he received any new ones since he committed to Memphis. He, I mean, he has offers from Arizona, Florida State, Georgia, Houston, um, same list, same with three-star DB, Tyrell. Um, I hope I pronounced the young man's name right, Raby. Um, he didn't get any new offers um, since he committed to Memphis. He got Washington State. So I'm, you know, this is, again, this is the nature of recruiting kids or, you know, thinking things over. Um, I am a little bit wondering, kind of wondering, you know, like, you know, usually this is the case where guys get more offers and they jump over, but I'm curious if this is a sign of something else, because again, you know, Memphis has been pretty quiet and here we are a month before signing day. Is this something that's going to be a trend or is it just kind of the nature of the beast? I think we'll have to wait and see, but uh, it is interesting. They lost two commits in the same day, both of them also from Louisiana. To be noted. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I will say Jones had offers from Memphis, Arizona, Washington State, and Utah, um, and also had offers from Florida State, Ole Miss, Texas Tech, Mississippi State, Georgia, and Texas. But those all came before it, his commitment to Memphis. Right. So um, we shall see what happens there. Like, I tend to I tend to think personally that this is a case of kids getting looked at by bigger schools until I'm told otherwise until I until I'm until it's reported otherwise. It's um, entirely, yeah, it's entirely possible that he's been in contact that there's been a school or two that's been in contact. Now these, yeah, now if these guys end up at you know committing to uh, Arkansas State later on or something like that or 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 some other AAC school, then that's when you start, you raise your eyebrows. Um, so we shall see. All right. Well, any last thoughts, Evan, on the Stephen F. Austin game? If Memphis doesn't win by 30, panic time. I'd like to see him. I, I'd like to see him like do like, you know, experiment a little bit. Like this is your classic. It's actually a good time for this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're scuffling a little bit offensively, maybe try a few things, a few new things and, um, you know, see if you can make some tweaks here or there to, to kickstart, uh, the offense. But, uh, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta win big this weekend. Yeah. It'll be, uh, be an interesting one at the Liberty bowl, uh, Memphis, Stephen F. Austin, 11 a.m. Kick. It's on ESPN plus. Hopefully you subscribed, uh, back when they played temple or, or when they played USF, um, oh, maybe it'll be the last one of the year on ESPN plus who knows, uh, but 11 AM kickoff at the Liberty ball on ESPN plus, um, we will, uh, <clears throat> have plenty of coverage of that game over at commercialappeal.com. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my voice here. Okay, Mark. All right. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, 
We will be back next week. Hope maybe. I don't know. It's Thanksgiving week, but I guess it'll be a big game. Um, we'll, we'll try to get you something early in the week to keep you tied it over uh, ahead of Thanksgiving uh, after this one. Hopefully we're talking about a big Memphis win. But till the next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan and Jason. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.